0: Hey everyone, welcome to the Southside Church podcast from Chilliwack, British Columbia, Canada. We're praying that hope would rise in your life as you listen to this message today.
1: Well, good morning, everybody. A few months ago, we talked about three levels of God's presence. The first level is God's omnipresence. God is everywhere. The second level is God's inner presence. God sends his Holy Spirit to live inside of us, to give us strength, to give us counsel, to give us comfort, and to give us hope. The third level is God's manifest presence. When God makes himself known in an extraordinary and powerful way. This is like Moses at the burning bush. By the way, this is Christmas. That one of the reasons that God sent his son Jesus into human history to be born in a manger in a stable in a little town called Bethlehem is to make himself known. To make himself known known. And and what's amazing to me is if you turn to Matthew chapter 18 in the Bible, Jesus says this, that when we gather together with a heart of faith and a posture of expectation, God makes himself known in an extraordinary and powerful way. You know where I'm going with this. Let's have that posture. Now I realize I'm on video. You already knew that. I'm not here, but I am praying for you and I suggest that we have a heart of expectation and a posture of faith today that we lean in because here's what I know. Today's sermon, God can use it to change your perspective. and if God changes your perspective, it'll change your marriage, it'll change your family, it'll change your friendships, it'll change your life. So let's jump in. I want to start today with a a story a couple weeks ago we talked about the fact that there was a doctor named Luke and he wrote more verses of the new testament than any other author and so what Luke did is he traveled all over the place he followed in the footsteps of Jesus to talk to eyewitnesses because he wanted to make sure that in his analytical well researched way that he got the story of Jesus right so his travels brought him to the city called Ephesus he met with one of Jesus disciples named John and then he spent a week interviewing Mary, the mother of Jesus. Now, I want you to imagine for a second that he's down to the last few hours. The week has been amazing. It's gone super quick. And so he's asking himself, okay, okay, what have we talked about? We we talked about the birth of Jesus. We talked about his life, his preaching, his teaching, his miracles, his friendship, his impact. We talked about his death. We talked about his resurrection. Luke couldn't imagine what it must have been like for Mary to see her boy nailed to a Roman cross where he suffered and died. But when she described what it was like just days later to see him alive and resurrected, man, it's the most beautiful thing he ever heard. So Luke's asking himself, okay, I got a few hours left. What should I ask? What should I ask? And it hit him. So he asked Mary this, what was it like when you found out you were pregnant? Mary got a smile on her face. She said, I was 14 years old. I was betrothed to a teenager named Joseph, just a few years older than me. We were from this little town called Nazareth. Everybody knew everybody. So Joseph and I had known each other our whole lives. I I knew his father was a carpenter. Joseph was following in his father's footsteps. He was so gifted at creating and building, amazing. We had the hunch that our parents were going to arrange a marriage for us. And for Joseph and I, we were all for it. Mary had a smile on her face and Luke realized that she was enjoying this trip back down memory lane, recalling her teenage years years more than half a century earlier. She said, Joseph was so handsome and so incredibly kind. And he told me that I was the most beautiful girl in Israel. Mary said, we had all these hopes and we had these dreams and we had these plans. And then one day something happened that changed all of our plans in a way that we never would have expected. And then Mary told Luke the story. Luke wrote it down, and it became part of our Bible. So I want to read it for you today. Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to the Galilean village of Nazareth to a virgin engaged to be married to a man descended from David. His name was Joseph, and the virgin's name, Mary, Upon entering, Gabriel greeted her. Good morning. You're beautiful with God's beauty. Beautiful inside and out. God be with you. She was thoroughly shaken, wondering what was behind a greeting like that. But the angel assured her, Mary, you have nothing to fear. God has a surprise for you. You will become pregnant and give birth to a son and call his name Jesus. He will be great. Be called son of the highest. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will rule Jacob's house forever. No end ever to his kingdom. Mary said to the angel, But how? I've never slept with a man. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the highest hover over you. Therefore, the child you bring to birth will be called Holy, Son of God. And did you know that your cousin Elizabeth conceived a son, old as she is? Everyone called her barren, and here she is, six months pregnant. Nothing you see is impossible with God. And Mary said, Yes, I see it all now. I'm the Lord's maid, ready to serve. Let it be with me, just as you say. Then the angel left her. It's important when we read the Bible that we understand we're reading about real people living real lives. Like this is a teenage girl named Mary, and she has hopes, and she has dreams, and she has plans that include a teenage boy named Joseph. And then one day, God shows up and completely interrupts regular programming. Now what I've asked the band to do right now is to play a song and it's a song that I hope can help remind us that these are real people living real lives. You can stay seated as the band plays.
0: I have tried So
1: Real people living real lives, a lot like you. And so what I want to do today is I want to suggest that as we read this simple story of the gospel of Luke, it has three ways that could potentially change our perspective, which could change everything. Let's jump in. The first one is this. God will come to where you are. God will come to where you are. It's amazing when you think about it that the angel Gabriel shows up in Nazareth. Nazareth was like a joke. It was a backwoods town. It was the middle of nowhere with a bunch of people going nowhere, or at least that's how people thought. In the first century, there was this saying that said this, nothing good can come from Nazareth. And yet that's where God sends the angel Gabriel. It's really important, you know, because throughout all of History, every worldview, every religion, every philosophy says basically this you've got to come to God. You've got to make your way to God. It's it's up to you. It's your own effort, it's your own achievement, it's your own responsibility to find your way to God. And yet, in the middle of world history, Jesus arrives and he introduced something called the gospel. Completely revolutionary concept which says this, you don't have to come to God. It's not about your achievement. Jesus shows us that God comes to you no matter where you are. You don't achieve it, you receive it. My best buddy growing up was Grant King. We hung out like every day from the time we were little kids into young adults. And if you want to really understand the dynamic of the Grant and Mike relationship, you would have to know this, that Grant was really, really handy, and I was really, really not. I still am not, to be honest. I remember when Corinne and I first got married, she went to Ikea one day and she bought a TV stand. And she handed me the box and said, Here, you build it, thinking that because I am a man, I could automatically build an Ikea TV stand, which was kind of sexist, but I'm willing to overlook it. Okay, So anyways, I start working on this TV stand. About half an hour in, I realize I don't have a hammer. I need a hammer. Now, the instructions didn't call for a hammer, but I knew that I needed a hammer. I didn't have one, so I took a pitching wedge out of an old golf set to use as a hammer. About an hour and a half, yes, an hour and a half into the process, I realized I didn't have a drill. Now, the instructions didn't call for a drill, but I realized that I needed a drill. So I went a couple doors down in our apartment. I borrowed a drill. And Corinne heard me say this right before she took over. She heard me say this. Those stupid Swedish IKEA guys put the holes in the wrong places. At that point, Corinne came in. She took over. She filled the holes that I had drilled in the TV stand. She completed it. And ever since then, Corinne builds everything she buys from IKEA, which worked out really well for me. So the Grant and Mike dynamic was kind of like this. I would get us into a mess, and Grant would get us out. Okay, I, I, I would get us into a big heap of trouble, and Grant would MacGyver away out of the trouble. That's how it worked. I could give you dozens and dozens of examples. One that comes to mind today is when we were about 17 years old, Grant and I drove from Red Deer three hours to Banff to go skiing at a place called Sunshine village just outside of Banff. So the plan was that we were going to ski all day, stay the night in Banff, ski the next day, and then go home. We had a great first day of skiing, so incredible. And at the end of the day, we kind of had a choice to make, and here's the reason why. Back at that, in that day anyways, uh, there was a huge parking lot Okay, at Sunshine Village. So you would park in the parking lot, then there was a gondola that took you way up to the mountain where the lodge and all the lifts were, okay? So you would park your car, jump in the gondola, go to the top, ski all day, and then the plan was that you would get back on the gondola, go down to the parking lot and leave. But there was a way you could actually ski down. Now none of the, ru- none of the runs were groomed and it was a little bit dangerous because it was getting dark, but Grant and I decided to do that. And it was so much fun, a great end to a great day of skiing. So we get to the parking lot, we take our skis off, we walk to the car, we get to the Volkswagen Rabbit diesel that my parents had lent me for Grant and I to take this trip. And I go like this, like this, and I'm like, oh, did I give you the keys, Grant? And he's like, no. I'm like, oh, well, I lost them. And so I looked to Grant, like I often did, to find a solution. So the first thing he did was he went and got a clothes hanger. It took him less than 10 seconds to slim-jim the door open. So that was the easy part, though. Because now there's the car, and it's not running. We're inside, but it's not running. It's getting colder. It's getting darker. A lot of people are leaving the parking lot. And I'm like, Grant, can you, I don't know, can you hotwire the car? He's like, ah, I've never done that. I've seen it done. Maybe I could try. I'm like, yeah, man, I know you can do it, Grant. I know you can do it. So, as being Grant, he had a flashlight and some tools in the bag that he packed to go skiing, okay? So we get his bag out of the trunk and he gets his flashlight out and he says, can you hold it, and so I'm holding it, but I kept on getting distracted, you know? And so I keep on shining into his eyes until eventually Grant's like, you know what, Mike? It's okay, I'll just prop the flashlight up here. Okay, so I, I left him and he, he ended up taking the, the, the cover off of the steering column and now there's like all these wires, right? Meanwhile, I'm just kind of walking around outside the car. Every once in a while, I would poke my head and go, Grant, you are incredible. I'm like, you're doing it, you know? I knew I could count on you. This is going to be awesome. And then I'd walk around, talk to girls as they were passing by. And, and finally, I hear the car start to turn over. I'm like, this is amazing. He did it, you know? And so Grant started the car. But there's something weird that happened. Like, the car would start, but it wouldn't run. So he kept starting it, but it wouldn't run. He started, and it wouldn't run. He's like, I don't know what to do. I'm like, Grant, come on. Come on, we're three hours away from home. Like, you've got to figure out something. And so I just remember, in true Grant style, he said, just give me a second. And he sat there, he closed his eyes, and he thought. And then he's like, okay, okay. There's one thing that I can think of trying. He started walking around the parking lot to the vehicles that were still there, talking to people, asking to borrow something. until eventually, he found two guys that had who had what he was looking for and and what they were is like he brought them over. Um, I don't even really know how to explain them. Like if you took booster cables, but, but shrunk them down to like one twentieth size, like tiny, tiny little booster cables. Okay. So Grant takes these booster cables and he starts hooking them onto different wires in the steering column of the car. So, so then he starts it and it keeps running. Now I'm like, this is Grant. You're amazing. It was so awesome. And I just remember driving down the hill from sunshine and even the heat in the car. We were freezing cold. It just felt so good. I was so happy. I want you to imagine just for a second, but later on that night, you went to the a at Banff and you walked in and Grant and Mike were there. And you were like, hey, hey guys, how was your day? And I answered and I was like, oh, unreal. Like it was so incredible. Like we had a great day of skiing. And then guess what happened? We lost the keys, may I say, you know, we lost the keys, right? We lost the keys, but no problem because we're Grant and Mike, you know what I mean? Like, we figured out something. Like, losers find excuses, winners find a way. We found a way, we hotwired the car, you know? And then we drove it down and Grant took it to a locksmith and we got a new key. It's as good as new. We found a way. At some point as I was going on and on and on with my diatribe, Grant probably would have looked at me and said something like this. "Uh, You didn't even hold a flashlight, man. (laughs) You you didn't even hold a flashlight. That's your relationship with God. That's my relationship with God. It's not about my achievement. It's not about... What I do, how I behave, how many I's I dot, how many T's I cross. It's not about me, it's about Jesus. It's about Him. He comes to me no matter where I am. I, 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 want, I want to say that you don't even have to hold the flashlight. However, you do have to take the wheel. I've been praying and praying and praying over this last 24 hours and there was something bugging me about this whole illustration other than the fact that it's kind of weird. But, but, but I was thinking about this. You don't have to hold a flashlight, but you do have to take the wheel. You know that old song that says, Jesus, take the wheel? It's completely wrong. Like, uh, it doesn't work that way. Like, Jesus can hotwire your car for, okay, I realize this illustration is going pretty far, okay? But basically, Jesus can, can make a way for you, but he's not going to tie you up, throw you in the trunk, and force you to go there. Look, you don't have to hold the flashlight, but you do have to take the wheel. He's not going to force you to step. Does that make sense? Like, there's teen burger seat. There's a life to live. There's adventure to experience, but he's not going to force you into any, but he'll make a way. So what I want to say to you today is no matter where you're at, Jesus will come to where you are. You say, man, I, I don't know, you know, I don't know if I'll ever get past my past. So much guilt and so much shame and, and so much dysfunction and so much trauma. No, no Jesus can come there and he, he can make a way out of your painful past. But what he's going to do is this. He's going to provide a way and then he's going to say, now go. Now go. Now step into it. One next step at a time, you walk out of your painful past. Or maybe you're here today and you're just like, you feel like you're, up to all kinds of no good, you're like, okay, Mike, you know that illustration where you're like, okay, whoa, we don't have the keys. My life is like this. I don't have a car. You know, like, like my, my, I got a spark plug sitting in the parking lot. Like I've completely like, deconstructed, discombobulated my life. Like I've done so much stuff. What do I do from here on out? No, no. He'll come to exactly where you are. And, and, and in Isaiah chapter 43 says this, he'll make a way where there is no way. So say, well, I don't even have a car. It doesn't matter. He'll make a way where there is no way. He'll make a way where there is no way. Here's the thing, though. You've got to take the wheel. He'll provide everything you need for you to get exactly where you need to be, but you've got to take the wheel. And, and, and I wonder, maybe for you, you're thinking to yourself, man, I've been in church my whole life, and I know that there's more to life than what I'm experiencing, but I just feel stupid. I feel stupid going back to God again and going, can you help? You know what? Don't feel that way. I never felt stupid asking Grant. And I got us into so much trouble. God's infinitely more patient than Grant King, right? He loves you so much. He will always make a way, even when there seems to be no way. And there is one last thing I want to say about this. I think there's a lot of people living in churches, living their lives in churches, And their lives are kind of like this to just completely continue with this weird illustration. It's like this. You get to the parking lot. Oh, no, I've lost my keys. Oh, and Grant hotwires the car. Wow, it's awesome. And he hotwires your car. And then this is your life. 20-year church attender. This is your life. You stand outside the car going, it's running. Fist bump, Grant. Whoa, look at that thing. It's running. And you stand there. And you watch it running in the park lot, parking lot of Sunshine Village near Banff, Alberta, until it runs out of diesel fuel, and you walk away. That's your life. See, what I'm saying is this somewhere along the line, God has provided a way for you. But maybe you forgot, God continues to provide a way for you, like this moment right now. I've been in church 20 years. You still need Him as bad as you ever did. There's parts of your life that are still as much a, a wreck as they ever have been, and you still need him today. And here's the thing, though. Here's the thing. He will keep providing a way for you to step into a life worth living. Friendships, relationships, family, adventure, joy, strength, hope. But you gotta take the wheel. You don't just stand there and watch the Volkswagen Rabbit Diesel run out of diesel fuel. You gotta take the wheel. And as we... Transition into 2024, I want to give our church a bit of a challenge. Let's go. Let's step into greatness. Like Jesus Christ, the Son of God, stepped into human history for you. He lived for you. He died for you. He rose again for you. He sent His Holy Spirit to you. There's greatness inside of you. Every single day of your life, you need Him as much as you ever have. And so every single day of your life, you're going to have an opportunity over and over and over again. He's made a way. Can you take the wheel? Look, you don't even have to hold a flashlight. Doesn't matter who you are, where you've been, or what you've done. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter you've been in church 20 years and you're still living living a mediocre life. It doesn't matter. Today's the day. Today's the moment. Today you take the wheel. He's gonna give you, he's gonna step you into greatness one next step at a time. In 2024, let's expect it. Right? And when you look around you in this church right now, if you're online and you look in your online community, whatever it is, stop looking at the people around you as if the greatest aspiration of their life is to start the car and stand there and watch it in the parking lot of Sunshine Village near Banff, Alberta. That the greatest aspiration of their life is not to be a complete and total train wreck anymore. No, God's called them, created them, recreates them for greatness. Expect it. Understand it. Expect it for you. Expect it for those around you. So number one, God comes to where you are. You don't even have to hold a flashlight, but you do have to take the wheel. Point number two, God answers the questions that you have. This is amazing because the angel Gabriel says, hey, remember how Elizabeth got pregnant? She's super old and that was such a miracle. Well, Mary, you ain't seen nothing yet. You haven't even had sex and you're going to get pregnant. And as soon as the angel said that, Mary would have known exactly what was going on. 700 years earlier, the prophet Isaiah said, the Messiah will come born of a virgin. Mary would have known. What a moment, right? But it's so fascinating to me because Mary looks at Gabriel and says, but you know I haven't had sex, right? And, and, and I love that. Like over the last few weeks, even as we've been in this Christmas series, we talked about Dr. Luke and last week, Zachariah and this week, Mary, and people have questions. And I want you to know that God loves questions. I think people who ask a lot of questions are truth seekers. Like maybe you're here today or you're watching online today and you like the cozy concept of Christmas. But you've been wondering lately, is there more? You know, like you turn on the TV and it's all these weird commercials, you know? It's like this like stirring inspirational music and somebody puts a big bow on like a luxury automobile and gives it to someone in their family and we're all supposed to go like, oh, the true meaning of Christmas. But there's something inside of you that's like, no, I don't think so. I don't think we'd still be celebrating Christmas like 2,000 years later if it was about giving luxury automobiles to people. In our lives I think there's got to be more but man you got questions right you got questions about you got doubts you got anger you're just not so sure about the whole Jesus thing and I want to tell you truth seeker because that's what you are you're a truth seeker God's not intimidated by your questions he's not angry about your questions he's not impatient about the questions that you have in fact I would commend you today. You're following in the footsteps of Dr. Luke. You're following in the footsteps of Mary, the mother of Jesus. Bible promises that when we knock, the door will be opened. And when we seek, we will find. And when we ask, the questions will be answered. Mary was a real person living a real life. So are you. The purpose and the plan that God has for your life is every bit as powerful as the purpose and the plan that he had for Mary and Joseph. Isn't that amazing? So ask your questions. Keep asking your questions. God has an incredible plan at the end of all your questions. You will find him. So point number one, God comes to where you are. You don't even have to hold the flashlight, but you do have to take the wheel. Point number two, God answers the questions you have. God loves truth seekers and point number three god gives you the delights of your heart it's amazing when you think about it because the angel gabriel lays it all out for mary and what's her response she says let it be let it be with me just as you say let it be let it be let it be let it be man i wonder I'm if she knew what she was saying let it be to. Like on some level, she must have, right? Like in that culture at that time, if you cheated on someone you were betrothed to, like especially as a woman, man, you could be punished. Like she would have been stripped naked. They would have put filthy rags on her and made her stand in the middle of town all day long, the people from that little town would have been required to heap abuse on her all day long. Because she needed to know, right? You're dirty, you're disgusting, you're disgraceful. That's what they thought. And I want you to imagine, too, that in a little town like Nazareth, Mary would have stood there, and everybody who lived in that little town, they were like family to her. And so her cousins and her uncles and her aunts and her brothers and her sisters would have, would have been by all day long. And yet she said, let it be with me just as you say. Now the angel appears to Joseph and says, hey, this is a miracle. No one else is going to believe it's a miracle, but Joseph marries pregnant. It's a miracle. And so he marries her and, and everything goes well that way, except for this. If you read through the gospels, you'll read that often some of Jesus' fiercest critics would look at him in moments of absolute exasperation because they could never win an argument with him, they could never trap him, and they would look at Jesus and they would say, at least I know who my father is. Which is a polite way of the English translators of our Bible saying, you're a bastard. And the same people who called Jesus a bastard would have looked on at Mary and said, well, you're filthy, you're dirty, you're disgusting, you're disgraceful. She would have spent her life like that. I wonder if she knew all that, whether she still would have said, let it be with me just as you say. And she saw her son arrested, betrayed, beaten, mocked, spit on, nailed to a cross where he suffered the most painful death imaginable. I wonder if she knew all that, whether she would have said, let it be with me, just as you say. And then, on the third day after Jesus died, her mom, his mom, Mary, saw him alive and resurrected. And so, I just wonder if Luke sat down with 72-year-old Mary in Ephesus all those years later, if he would have looked at, if he could, have, if he would have asked her and said, "This, would you still say that?" would you still say, let it be with me just as you say? And I think Mary would have said, yeah. It's really interesting, isn't it? I remember when I was coaching and teaching, I would often quote, I think I might even had a poster up in one of my offices that said this, um, if you don't know what port you seek, no wind is favorable, all right? That's it's good, right? If you don't know what port you seek, no wind is favorable. It, 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 it talks about reverse engineering. Not, you, need, you need a picture of the life you want to live, and then you need to set about making that picture happen. I think there's an old book called Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, and I think Habit 2 says this begin with the end in mind. Begin with the end in mind, have a plan. I was thinking about it this week, though, the only problem with me standing up here and telling you, begin with the end in mind, begin with the end in mind, begin with the end in mind, is I've never really lived my life that way. Begin with the end in mind, begin with the end in mind. And I get, by the way, I get that we have to plan, but really on a macro level, my life has never been lived that way. Begin with the end in mind, begin with the end in mind. I just think back to the Westminster Catechism says this, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Yeah, okay. I'll begin with that end in mind. That's how I've tried to live my life. Psalm 37 verse four says it this way, "Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. I wonder if Mary, knowing everything she knew, would have still said, let it be with me just as you say, I think she would have. I remember when I was heading into my senior year of university, I knew I I needed to get straight A's because I needed to raise my GPA high enough to get into law school. You know, I had jacked around my first two years at Red Deer College, so I had some work to do. The only thing I wanted worse than getting into law school at that time was I wanted to marry my, I wanted to marry Corinne even more. And so before my senior year started, I I went and I bought Corinne an engagement ring with some of my tuition money. Well, now I got a bit of an issue because I need to get straight A's in university, and I got to get a full-time job to pay my way through my senior year of university. But I did it. I got a a job, and and I had a a, a full load of classes, full-time job, and I did it. And I remember walking out of my last exam in my last year of university, the history of economic thought. And I remember walking out of that exam thinking, I did it. I got straight A's. I knew that I nailed that exam. I knew that I did. And I'm walking through the lobby of the Robert N. Thompson building at Trinity Western University. And I felt like God spoke to me real simply. He said this, be a teacher, not a lawyer. And my response to him at that time was, let it be with me just as you say. So I was only 22 years old then. It wasn't that many years earlier that I tried to do life on my own and I remember what it was like to come to the end of myself over and over and over again. So once I decided to put my faith in Jesus, I did it. So he said, be a teacher, not a lawyer. And I said, let it be with me just as you say. So now I had to get one more year of university to add a B.E.D. onto my B.A. Corinne still needed one more year of university to get her degree, so I got a job as a, as a waiter to put us through our uh, last years of university. And then I graduated as a teacher. And I remember thinking of all the different places I could go teach. I had an interview at a little tiny private school here in Chilliwack, and I walked away thinking, oh, that was kind of fun, but I'm definitely not gonna work there. And God said to me, that's the school where you're gonna teach. And I said to God, let it be with me just as you say. And I taught at that little school for years and years. I remember by my last couple of years, I was the vice principal of the secondary school. I only had to teach one class, History 12, which I loved, and I coached basketball. I was making more money doing basketball and History 12 stuff outside of the school than I was actually making at the school. Life was good. I'm 38 years old and God says to me, hey, go be a youth pastor at Southside Church. Now, I want to tell you something about that. I had never aspired to be a youth pastor. It was never my dream. Not, nothing against youth pastors at all. But I had never, that had never been a goal of mine. And most certainly, I had never dreamed of being a 38-year-old youth pastor. Nothing against 38-year-old youth pastors. But you know what I'm saying, right? But I said to God, let it be with me, just as you say. And then I remember after a few years of doing that, it became clear that God was calling Corinne and I to become the lead pastors of Southside church it's funny because growing up in red deer alberta i can tell you truthfully um i I never met a lead pastor there who i admired at all that was probably my bad attitude to be honest nothing against lead pastors i had just never ever ever had a goal of becoming one and yet we said let it be with us just as you say and i wonder sometimes if I could go back to 22-year-old Mike Manis ro- walking through the lobby of the Robert N. Thompson Building at Trinity Western University after my last exam of my final year of university, and I would say to them, hey, um, be, be a teacher, not a lawyer. Oh, but here's the thing. When, one day that's going to lead you down this path that's going to make you a lead pastor, and here's going to be all the heartbreak and all the anxiety and all the stress and all the sleepless nights and all the betrayal and all the trauma. I'm pretty sure the 22 year old Mike Manis would have said, No, I still believe in Jesus, but I'm going to go with a lawyer thing, you know, or or, or maybe underwater welding. With my uh, lack of handiness, I'm sure I would have lasted about 17 seconds as an underwater welder, or maybe a truck driver. You know, my first few years of being a lead pastor, I had these fantasies about being a truck driver, you know, with the open road and steering wheel. Let's go. But here's what's crazy. I stand here right now, and I'm telling you, (laughs) if you ask me, who has a better life than you, Mike? I would say no one. No one. Through the twists and turns of life in ways that I never would have chosen if it was completely up to me. You know what he's done? He's given me the desires of my heart. Let it be with me, just as you say. And I want to give you a second and I want you to think about that. Would you be willing to have that kind of faith? Maybe you're brand new to this whole following Jesus thing. Would you be willing today to say, Jesus, let it be with me just as you say. Or maybe you've been following for a long time, but there's just this moment, there's this moment that you keep coming to where, where he's asking you to trust him, but you're just like, I don't know. He still loves you but he's got this plan for you, right? And I guess it's back to Grant and Mike in the parking lot of a Sunshine Village. You can stand here your whole life. Going, would you look at that car? Look at it, it's running. I can't, b- oh, Grant, you did it again, fist bump. That's what you could do. It's probably safer. It probably is, but there's so much more. Get in. Take the wheel and say, let it be with me, just as you say. Let's pray. So with all heads bowed and all eyes closed, just want to ask you a question. Is today the day? I'm telling you, everything that needs to be done for you to be saved, for you to be forgiven, for you to have eternal life has already been done. You don't even have to hold the flashlight, (laughs) but you do have to take the wheel. You do have to accept what Jesus already did for you. Greatest decision you could ever make. It's not always going to be safe. It's not always going to be easy, but I'm telling you what, it is going to be the desires of your heart, adventure, hope, joy, strength. Incredible. So if today is the day for you, with all heads bowed and all eyes closed, can you just raise your hand right now, nice and high. If, if you're online, it's safe to do so. Could you raise your hand? Because I want to pray for you right now. That's amazing. Let's pray. You can put your hands down. So Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you make a way where there is no way. When <laughs> we go back to those poor Israelites with their backs to the Red Sea and they turned around and you parted those ways and they walked through, that's what you still do. You make a way even when there seems no way. So today, Jesus, I thank you that you've made a way for my forgiveness, for my salvation, for my eternal life. That everything that needs to be done has already been done. You did it, I take it, I accept it. I thank you. And Jesus, I ask that you would be my Lord, that you would give me the strength to keep saying, let it be, let it be, let it be with me just as you say. Give me the strength to to follow the plans that you have for my life. And Jesus, I pray for everybody here, whether they're in church for the first time or whether they spent their whole lives in church. I pray for a perspective change, that today we would remember that you come to where we are. That no matter how long we've known you, the same is still true. We don't have to hold a flashlight, but we do have to take the wheel. So we say to you right now, God, show us the way we will follow. That we would keep asking the questions that, that we have, that we would keep seeking truth. And at the end, we would look back and say, you know what? I never would have expected my life was like that. but I'd do it all over again. Let it be with me just as you say. We love you, we thank you in your name. Amen, amen. Hey, I love you guys. I can't wait for next week. I'm gonna be back here live and I just invite you again. We're only a couple weeks away from our Christmas celebration. These two weeks are gonna be absolutely amazing. Invite your friends, invite your family, invite everyone you know, and we'll see you then.